0: Good morning, thanks for listening Wednesday the 15th of June and as yesterday I'm standing at just after 8 o'clock on the third floor of the grandstand here at Ascot. Very few in so far, but those that are gracing the Royal Racecourse are treated once again to the most stunning morning. There's maybe just a little more wispy, fine cloud against the horizon than when Lee and I were speaking 24 hours ago. But we are set for another beautiful day and more wonderful sport. But yesterday, day one, will take some topping because we got a demolition job from the Aussie Star Nature Strip, an efficient ruthless performance from Baid and a helter-skelter finish to the St James's Palace Stakes all of which was witnessed not just by me but a capacity crowd here and by Newsboy from the Daily Mirror David Yates who had a rather good day on the tipping front. Frankly you may as well blow your own trumpet and I'm very happy to do it for you Dave.
1: Yes thank you very much. Um, It was a it was a fantastic day yesterday Nick. I think that um, first of all the three group ones to open the five days sometimes think well is it sort of a bit of an overload for for the tuesday but it's designed to start the meeting with a bang and didn't it do that yesterday um the the fact that we had Baid, the unbeaten world's best race horse on turf or world's best race horse in any case i'm not quite sure a guineas winner in caribus and the fact that they were upstaged by the australian sprinter nature strip just shows us how good the opening day was yesterday. I'm going to make a confession Mm. live on the NLD, and that is, I've kept this locked in my heart for many years, and that I've always been, as a punter, a bit sneery about the intercontinental challenges challengers to Royal Ascot, principally because when I used to do the two-year-olds many years ago, I'd have a lump on a Richard Hannon or a Richard Hannon Senior back in those days, or a John Gosden, and the pesky Wesley Ward challengers made me think, you know, this is too difficult because I don't want to necessarily take them on, but I don't know enough about them to, to back them. So I was always a bit... I'm happy about the the international challenges, but yesterday was an epiphany for me, because watching Nature Strip, uh, Chris Waller, a a trainer that you've interviewed on several occasions, who is a a very modest New Zealander who moved to uh, New South Wales uh, to for his career to take off we know that in the early days i believe it was the 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 operation was was financed by his wife's earnings as a model that's correct isn't it and then of course we, we saw very elegant win the um melbourne cup last november his first victory in that race um this horse is seven years old has been something of a work in progress because getting him to piece everything together at the same time has been a difficult job but yesterday he was absolutely exhilarating he scorched up the straight course here and it was an absolute pleasure and a privilege to watch him it, to watch him it was obviously a dramatic race because uh, golden pal at the start nearly unshipped irad ortiz and then rushed to a prominent position and then was was last of all but it was it was a fantastic day that was the headline and you know one hasn't mentioned Baid or caribus as you say caribus in whatever the uh, temperatures were yesterday, 28 degrees or mm. something like that, he made his backers sweat uh, because he was locked behind uh, tracking the leaders under William Buick, then just finally in time managed to get that uh, seen through towards the far rail. I mean, trouble was
0: entirely predictable in that race, wasn't it? It really was. And it was him first and then, to a, an even more exaggerated extent, Mal Joom and a heartbroken Kieran Fallon.
1: Yes, indeed. Uh, Mal Joom in the... Uh, the yellow and black colours was uh, particularly unlucky um, but it, as you say I think Charlie Appleby acknowledged that after the race that said that we knew this was going to be a, bit, a different rhythm of race uh, to the Guineas Lucille got the lead and very nearly made it uh, a telling one it was a very dramatic race and uh, under the circumstances if you if you watch that race and you, certainly moreover if you just looked at the result you would think ooh Caribous has scraped in uh, you know wonder what went wrong there and and instinctively you might diminish his status but I I think that that would be a, a, a dangerous move to take to be honest because he won that in spite of everything that happened yesterday certainly not because of it loads of other high points as well brad sell an excellent winner for archie watson and holly
0: doyle in new bahraini ownership no doubt he's capable of running a huge race in any of the big sprinting group one races for two-year-olds upcoming danny tudhope confirming that he's a brilliant rider for the big occasion by taking the last two races at huge odds as well and we're going to hear a bit more about him and one of his rides a little later on in the show but there have been several people who have been championing Nature Strip on this podcast. Lee Mott has had perhaps a top of the list. He advised you to get on at 7 or 8 to 1 a couple of weeks ago. And last week, I spoke to Channel 7's Jason Richardson. Well, this is what he had to say.
2: If he settles in, he's continued to eat, um, he produces 90% of his best, they won't see which way he goes. He, he will absolutely hose up.
0: What, even even against Golden Powell, the fastest horse in the world. Yeah.
2: yeah, he'll beat Golden Powell. I'm convinced if he's at his... If he produces 90 to 95% of his best, he is an absolute speed machine.
0: Well, I'd, I'd like to give an opportunity to all my correspondents to gloat when gloating is appropriate on this podcast. Uh, Jason Richardson, you were right. He just won.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a rare moment. What do they they say about a broken watch is correct twice a day? Uh, A rare win for me, but what I'm thrilled more than anything is that the UK, in brackets, the world audience, got an opportunity to see just how fast this horse is. Now, he is a really quirky animal. And Chris Waller, don't ever underestimate how well he's done to get that boy to travel across the world, not lose a lot of weight. I saw him in the mounting out and he meandered around the mounting out with his with his casual strut. That's when I knew that uh, the UK audience and the royal audience would get to see the best of uh, nature strip. and how scintillating was he. He was I love James McDonald's comment where the spruce horse was next to me and then I saw the two pole and said, are you going to come? And uh, he went out in the back and they just just strode away. He got a little fright from a riderless horse. But, well, maybe our other prediction, uh, will he back up? Will Jamie Carr is holidaying in Europe who's got an eye on the Royal Carnival? Whether she comes across and rides him on the Saturday well. is a fair bit to play out.
0: It, it, it sounds to me, Richo, as though Chris doesn't really want to do it. And uh, he said the same as well yesterday. The owners would, I think, have to put their collective feet down in order to make it happen. I spoke to Rod Lyons on the pod earlier in the week, and I, I, I didn't sense he was going to you know, try and try and push too hard. Uh, w- what's your read of it? You know these personalities better than I do.
2: I think you've summed it up perfectly. I think you're, you're, uh, you've read the body language. Chris would ideally love to... Keep the Coolmore Colt Home Affairs, who will run a really good race. Keep him solo uh, in regards to his two runners because I think the moment Nature Strip says I'm running, he would be a short price favourite. I just checked racing post. I think he's 6-4 to favourite if he runs. So he would be the one that they would have to beat. Um, If I'm the owner, and Rod and his team of owners are great, great people and they've got a real sense of fun, to, to put it into context for the uk audience there was a group one race in queensland on saturday on nice firm ground that nature strip would have been a dollar 50 favorite and the first prize equated to about six hundred and fifty thousand australian dollars they've decided to travel across the world 40 hours with a huge expense because the sense of adventure was there and they actually won less prize money uh, at, uh, at Royal Ascot than they would have at that Stradbroke uh, meeting. So they're up for the fun of it and they're up for the adventure. Can they convince Chris? I think you're right. I, I don't think they can, but would they like to? I reckon they. I reckon they'd be thinking, well, he's just had an exhibition gallop over a thousand metres. He's every bit as good as schwarz here is. He can back up, and if he did, I reckon he'd be close to even money favourite.
0: Jason Richardson there, Um, David Yates, a whole nation very proud of Nature Strip but really the, the sort of key news point after the race or one of the key news points was would he try and do a choisir and a blue point and back up again on Saturday and it's clear that Chris Waller doesn't really want to do that and I think it was clear before the race he wasn't really very inclined to do it.
1: That's right. It would have been interesting, wouldn't it? Because we would have seen Jamie Carr ride NATO Strip had he taken uh, parts. I mean, it might still happen. But, but, but... it looks unlikely, doesn't it? Mm. Immediately afterwards, they were, they were lukewarm on that. And it, it looks as though we won't see NATO Strip. On Saturday, but what we saw on Tuesday was more than enough. Uh, that was absolutely brilliant. It's a policy of mine not to pay credit uh, to other journalists, but I must thank uh, Lee and Richo who alerted me uh, to the talents of Nato Strip. Particularly listening to Richo on the podcast last week when he said, you know, he couldn't see this horse being beaten. And um, yeah, it was, it was a wonderful result. And it, you know, as I say, sometimes people, people can sneer at this sort of international challenges. You know, Nick Smith of jets around the world trying to get these, uh, these uh, international runners to take part. But yesterday was the... the uh, it, it, everything came together. It, it, it was, it, that's why he does it, for results and performances like that. So yesterday
0: it was supposed to be Wesley Ward against Nature Strip. Ward with Golden Pal and as Dave told you, Erad Ortiz reported that he was practically asleep and not really ready in the stalls and that meant that the horse went up and um, it was game over from from there on in. Today, Ward will be feeling a a little more jittery perhaps because he's got a a hot favourite in the Queen Mary in the shape of Love Reigns. It's a race he's won four times before. He could confidently expect to win. Uh, but up against him is a, a very, very smart filly called Dramatise, trained by Carl Burke. I spoke to Carl a little bit earlier on and I asked him to compare her with all the very good speedy two-year-olds and Group 1 winners he's trained in this division before.
3: Nick, I'd say she's as quick as any two-year-old I've trained. Um, she's, um, she's a powerful filly. And, you know, I, I think um, she has an awful lot of potential. You know, she, she went to markets. When I like to, especially the early two-year-olds, I love to see them, all the other two-year-olds in the paddock first. And when I saw what she was up against at Newmarket, I, I I thought we were, I said to the owners, there will be no second or third, you know, we'll, we'll win. Um, It turns out that she did beat a couple of nice horses. The second horse of the uh, Kildare Suds, um, George Bowie trained Philly, went and won twice afterwards. I think Alice Haynes' horse has won. The form's worked out really well. She's done, our Philly's done nothing but um, improve since. And, you know, she goes there with a great chance, I think.
0: You sound really full of confidence. Uh, this is a filly who immediately after she won, you said straight there. Why so? Because normally you'd take in a National Stakes or a, a merrygate at York or something like that. Why did you not want to give her the extra run?
3: Um, the merrygate was very sh- quick afterwards. Only two weeks between Newmarket and, um, you know, a maiden and, and going to York. So that was always going to be a bit, bit of a squeeze. The National Stakes, as it turns out, the owners... Um, uh, connected with, with the Bronte collection, they went and won that race with another filly. It's not really a, usually a filly's race, um, although they, ha- you know, Maria Bramwell won that and did, did very well. But uh, so we just made a decision to go straight to, to Ascot and trainer for that. And she's had an away day gallop um, at Ripon three weeks ago. She did that very very well under Danny Tudhope, and everything's gone pretty smoothly.
0: And, and Yarzak, you run in the same race. Um, what have you told the owners of yaza i'm always intrigued when when, when you're in a situation like this
3: um Yassas is a, she's is, she's a very quick filly herself and as she's shown on a, a three runs um but i've made it uh, you know i've i've made it pretty clear all along that you know she had the option of going for the windsor castle um richard brown who represents the owner Saeed uh, mohammed al kwasimi um you know, we, we said we'd have the entry in the in the Windsor Castle, but we spoke about it on decoration time and said, no, we'll just go for it. And uh, she deserves a chance in a race like the Queen Mary. She's a very good filly. And if Dramatized was wasn't in the race, I'd be fancying her for at least a place.
0: You mentioned Danny Tartope. He won the last two races yesterday and he rides Dramatized for you today. He seems just to have the knack of this place. Um, that's, I think, his eighth victory at Royal Ascot, his, his second last night.
3: Yeah, Danny's a class jockey, and um, you know, very calm, very collected, and um, you know, he knows this fairly well. So, you no, know, we've no worries with Danny on board.
0: Do you think that's what it is? The bigger the stage, the better he becomes. It's almost like one of those sort of top-class sportsmen who who drops down into another into another zone and and just has an icy veined composure about him.
3: It's funny you should say that because we were discussing it at dinner last night with the owners, um, Danny wasn't there but we were having a chat about it and that's exactly the conclusion we came to that you know, he's a, he's a, he, he enjoys the big stage and he rises to it, he rises to the
0: occasion. Tomorrow, in the same colours as Dramatised, Steve Parkins Clipper Logistics, you've got Pillow Talk in the in the Norfolk Stakes. Now, you don't often see too many fillies taking on the colts because there's so many opportunities for them in the uh, in the races at Royal Ascot. I'm guessing you're just trying to keep her and Dramatised apart, are
3: you? Yeah, we were. Um, and again, the owners have got so many horses um, with different trainers, and just trying to keep all the horses apart. Um, she did have the option of going to France for the Prix de Bois on Sunday, um, but it's Royal Ascot. Everybody's here, and um, you know we decided that we'd let her take a chance. She's a listed winner already, so we didn't want to run in the Windsor Castle. Um, and as quite often happens, the Norfolk is the race that tends to break up a little bit, as it has done. A numbers-wise, anyway, not quality-wise, but numbers-wise, it does. So we thought, yeah, let's go and take a chance. If she gets a place in a in a group race, it's another it's another part of her
0: CV collected. Carl Burke couldn't really be more confident. About dramatised, I've sort of got that down to a two-horse race. On that basis, Dave, the sort of question was, how do you follow that after after yesterday? Well, we've got the the prospect of a couple of quite big beasts, albeit in quite a, a select field. Prince
1: of Wales' Stakes. How do you see it shaking down? Well, I've been with Bay Bridge uh, the whole time, Nick. Uh, we've talked about this horse quite a lot over the last uh, few weeks, and. Uh, you know to, to pull a very well worn cliche out of the drawer uh, he 's a horse that Sir Michael Stout excels with. everyone talks about stout 's uh, proficiency with the older horses. We should remind people that he 's won the derby uh, a mere six times uh, as of June the fourth this year with Desert Crown. Um I thought that I thought the horse was thunderously impressive in the Brigadier Gerard States at Sandown last time that was his his first uh try in group company Uh, he scored by an extended distance I think it was five and a half lengths uh that day and I think there's more to come and yes he's short now because the the he raced against a small field here but I I I hope and I expect that uh Baybridge will win this it would be another it'd be another great result for Sir Michael Stout wouldn't it you know we've um we've talked about his uh return from but you know, from from his challenges both on and off the track over the last few years, uh, Desert Crown was a, a, an incredibly warming result for for flat racing, and I think that he's got another. It may well turn out that um, Desert Crown isn't the best middle distance horse at Freemason Lodge this summer. Who knows? Well, and Stouty is not averse to running good horses against
0: each other either. We've seen it countless times before as we mentioned on the podcast last week he's done it with Singspil and Pilsudski did it with uh, Workforce and Harbinger much more recently so a clash between those two horses might be on the cast but let's enjoy today first a victory for Shariar in
1: that race would cap an insane 12 months on the global stage for Japan. Yes indeed Um, we've spoken a lot about how Japan is a is a coming force in uh global thoroughbred racing who could forget the the nights dubai world cup nights uh when they were utterly dominant and this horse obviously he's perceived by the bookmakers as the main threat to bay bridge i row in with that too and uh it's it's Again, we, we talked about the internationalisation and how this is, this is the sort of crystallisation of what Ascot have been trying to do. And a Japanese winner here today would really put the finishing touch to that. But I hope and I think that uh, he'll find Baybridge too tough.
0: Well, and it's quite interesting that we should set up the Prince of Wales stakes as a bit of a clash between Baybridge, the improver, and the established international uh, star, Shariab but we're forgetting about a horse that's done even more extraordinary things in terms of continental versatility in state of rest. Aren't we ranking supremo, James Willoughby?
4: And we are. Well, a group one winner, Nick, on three continents is, is what you're referring to. And in this Prince of Wales Stakes is a fascinating contest, isn't it? It's about either confirmation of ability or in the case of Bay Bridge or promotion of underrated ability which in the case of state of rest i think this horse is 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 seven to one i think is an insult
0: seven to one an insult let's just spin through the the rankings state of rest at 32 comfortably the highest placed of the five runners
4: right so the, the, here we go, we've got to take in, we've got to quickly say that rankings are about what a horse has done not so much about what the horse is going to do and so it's clear that Baybridge owns top 20 potential, at least if not top 10 potential. Uh, but what's interesting is State of Rest record, Nick. Now, when we assess racehorses, we can't just look at one performance or their latest performance. We've got to take into account the round of their portfolio performances. Listen to this for a record. In his last four starts on three continents, State of Rest has gone 27 and two head to head. 27 wins, two losses head to head against 29 rivals in those four races. He has defeated world number 10, Very Elegant, number 14, Animo, number 48, Skeletti, 56, Mare Australis, 75, Broom, 83, Lord North, 96, and 98, sealaway So that is a record which stands up to the absolute closest scrutiny. Now, in those last four races, his, his latest defeat, which was in the Tatsouls Gold Cup, came in a race that was devoid of pace. In the Saratoga Derby, which I think was arguably his most impo- impressive visual performance, they went 21.96 for the first quarter. So the question, I guess, for him today in a small field state of rest is, will you get the race run to suit?
0: Okay, James, that's today. Quick line on yesterday, because all the horses that we sort of wanted to excel from a rankings perspective did, particularly, obviously, Baed and Nature Strip, who are our top two really uh, it doesn't look as though nature strips going to run again saturday does that mean status quo remains
4: there'll be world number one and world number two and quite rightly so with by remaining top of the shop and you know this is basically this card yesterday these results yesterday these races the spectacle of it was everything that ascot supremo nick smith envisioned when he tried to internationalize the meeting a number of years ago and for me i think this is the best days racing i can remember uh, ascot absolutely fascinating from start to finish and in nature's trip a performance that, that crowned everything that, that we try and achieve here at trc global rankings bringing together the strands of form around the world and producing a cohesive and coherent uh, ranking which we hope to see confirmed on the track and i would argue that nature's trip is one of the most uplifting performances we've seen at ascot for many a year
0: Well, what did that extraordinary day's rating yield from the World Pool perspective? Jamie Hart's here to tell us. Jamie, what were the headlines on day one? Yeah, so the big headlines: 31.6
5: million by the looks of it, uh, bet through the World Pool yesterday. So that's up up there with, you know, just even ahead of uh, Derby Day, I believe. Uh, We had some big overpays. well, the easiest one of the day was probably Bayeed, wasn't it, to beat Real World. I think the bookies were offering specials of even money without the favourite for Real World. The, the forecast paid 184 and the Xacta paid 253. So, you know, that's 80% bigger profit, just doing the Xacta. A, a fairly simple first favourite, the one to sixth favourite to beat the second favourite, and you're getting bigger than six to four. And the other one was Coribus, odds on all week. And then, uh, of course, um it comes out and wins, and it pays two pound four on on the tote. So, you know, odds against Caribous, and then the biggest overpay of all was uh, it was towards the end of the day a uh, Dubai future. Um, well, that that was a twenty to one chance. It paid twenty five or twenty five point zero on Betfair SP and twenty eight thirty eight on the tote. So. Some big old big old uh, overpays there the exact is i think six out of seven overpaid so there's plenty of value in there i think if there's one race today that will be an overbroke race because the prices will be all over the place it will be the five runner race where we have every one of those kind of the, the competitors from all around the country all around the world you'll get so much so many differences of opinion in the prince of wales stakes uh, i think we could be looking at a real kind of overbroke book there
0: with the guarantees in place let's tidy, tidy up any other bits of news you were much more um mobile than i was y- yesterday and sort of touring the grounds what, what else can you, you tell me
1: yeah no, not masses of news yesterday looking forward the, the the main thing i spoke to john gosden about nashwa about whether she would go for the Prix de diane remember that when they were talking about sending this Philly to the oaks in which she was a, a gallant but i think probably non-staying third i remember that they said well it's 16 days afterwards the pre de diane so it's still a possibility um john Gosden has has done that before and he said yesterday she's come out of the race really well we think that she's a mile and a quarter filly and we will roll the dice at shanty on sunday the draw for that race is on thursday and john Gosden said anything in single figures would uh, do us fine. Did he mention the roast beef straw? Or? Uh, n- n- no, there wasn't. He didn't actually say the word roast beef, uh, <laughs> but um, he did, of course, confirm that Holly Doyle will have, will be on board for her boss, Imad Al Sagar. Uh, she bettered the. I'm uh, sorry to bang on the, the, about female jockey statistics she she bettered her st ledger fourth with, with, with a third at Epsom, which was uh, the best classic placing achieved by a female jockey and of course she's got a really good shot at a first classic at shanty on sunday aboard nashua who will after that confirmation will i think be a pretty strong favorite and what
0: about the vibe about the place yesterday normally tuesday even if you've got excellent racing is a little bit quieter than, than the rest of the week. Was that the case yesterday?
1: Um, I felt that it was a, a really strong atmosphere yesterday. I think that over the last couple of years obviously we've, we've had either no crowds or limited crowds and this was uh, a, as a result of that I think that we got, we got plenty of meat and potatoes uh, among the atmosphere yesterday. I really enjoyed it. I I think, again, just to refer to the three group ones, I think that we think of this as almost more of a purist day where, you know, the cognoscenti come with their their pencils to make paddock notes and their binoculars. But there was enough of a throaty raw to it was there? I I thought there was plenty of throat in this yesterday I thought it was a really good atmosphere and one hopes for more this week but if Tuesday is a portent uh, to what is going to follow over the following uh, final four days of Royal Ascot then we really have much to look forward to.
0: Well it's quite staggering you go to every major race meet in the world and I've worked for so many different broadcasters but there's nothing like Royal Ascot for just seeing how many Uh, of the world's media converge in in one small space to try and push it into all corners of the world. HBA media are responsible for the distribution of that. We spoke to Frank Sale on Monday about um, the parts that, that other beers couldn't reach. Ed Bowman, is here from that organisation today to so tell us about a, a new venture uh, that
6: that Frank briefly touched on there. Just tell us what's happening tomorrow, Thursday. Yeah. So thanks for having us first, Nick. I feel like this has been a bit of a HBA media takeover this podcast recently. Well, it's, a, it's a bloody Australian takeover. <laughs> I can tell you that. Mate. Well, after yesterday, it was an unbelievable day to be on track, uh, but look, really exciting. For the first time, uh, we're producing a dedicated one hour live show, which is around the Gold Cup on Thursday and it's basically a supplementary product to what we already distribute around the world. So as everyone knows, Royal Ascot's a five day event and it's five hours or six hours of live coverage. So what we're trying to do with the Gold Cup, uh, sorry, that World Feed really covers the racing aspects of Royal Ascot really well. And what we're trying to do with the Gold Cup show is showcase the event but in a one-hour format and provide that to broadcasters that are new to the sport that don't necessarily have the scheduling capacity or the interest level to show 25 hours of live of live racing so to put that into into context for instance India is, a, is actually a you know it's a growing horse racing market but it's at the start of its journey and if we were to only have had the five-hour five-day broadcast coverage they wouldn't have taken any Royal Ascot but because we've been able to provide them a one-hour live show which basically for the first 40 minutes will showcase fashion, culture, royalty with a younger kind of um, host base and a younger sort of skew um, they've decided to take that. So we get some Royal Ascot into, into India and begin that growth journey. Um, so that's really exciting. And that's going to be on Sony, which is a massive broadcaster in the, in, on the continent. I think it goes to about 700 million homes. So that's a great opportunity for Royal Ascot and the sport to build. Um, secondly, we've got a deal in South America and Latin America for the ITV World Feed, but on a digital platform. But ESPN have committed one hour live on their live TV programs to do the Golden Hour. So it's a supplementary product that, if you're in South America, you can still see all five days, but if you're a new sports fan, you get the opportunity to see Royal Ascot. So we're really excited. Um, we think it's gonna be great. We've invested a, a lot of time, energy, and money into it. It's been supported by Ascot, uh, and we think it'll, it'll resonate yeah, with a top new top. audience and hope us to grow, create more revenue outcomes, and to, to, to bring more fans to the sport. Absolutely.
0: Well, regulars will realise that yesterday there was a significant omission, but I think you'll uh, appreciate that I'm more than making up for it today, because we go around the bloodstock world with Weatherbees as we do every week. And today here at Asker, I'm really thrilled to be joined uh, by Bill Farish, who is the, the face of Lanes End Farm now in, in Kentucky. It's a, a farm with wonderful history, heritage, a terrific stallion roster, and with some uh, unique connections, not just to, to the UK, but to Royal Ascot and Her Majesty the Queen as well. It's a it's a great story, Bill, great to be be here with you. Just just take us right back to to when Lane's End first came into existence as we know it today.
7: Well, it, it first came into existence back in 1979 when when Mom and Dad bought the first bit of land that that uh, was just 250 acres or so, and and then we're had no designs on, on it becoming a stallion farm or even boarding their own mares there. Mm-hmm. And then he was able to acquire quite a few pieces of land around it that were contiguous, and uh, it just grew from there. He, he wasn't able to do things uh, in a small way, I guess. And so now, now we're sitting here with, with 21 stallions and, and 300 mares on, on two farms.
0: And were they, were your parents, were they horse people by, by birth and upbringing? Dad was always a you know he played polo
7: from an early age as as I did growing up uh, and and so horses were always a big part of our lives even when we lived in Texas. Uh, and then when they moved in the early 80s, moved up to Kentucky, it, uh, they, uh, it obviously took over our lives completely.
0: So for you, was it always a natural progression? Was there ever anything else that was, was, was likely to, to, to come into play?
7: No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think it was always, always going to happen. Um, I, I got bit early by, by the bug and, and uh, really was much more interested in studying pedigrees than studying schoolwork. <laughs> So so it was a natural progression. you say there was no real intention to make it a big commercial
0: stallion station what was the what was the tipping point? what changed the game
7: well i it's hard for me to say exactly, but I think uh, uh, we dad had the, it was developing the the broodmare side of the farm and my fa- my mother's father had a horse named Dixie Band mm. and he was a very good son a northern dancer and uh, he was kind of I think that's what got Dad thinking. Well, I might as well stand him, you know. And and so when he made that decision, Paul Mellon luckily followed with several stallions, uh, Heroes Honor, Fit to Fight, and and others. And and it just suddenly we had critical mass, and it just grew from there.
0: And and when did you start getting really heavily involved in in the running of the place?
7: Well, it was about thirty years ago that I. My wife and I moved back to Kentucky from Washington, and uh, I worked for President Bush for two, the last two years of his administration. And then after that, I always knew I wanted to come back to Kentucky. So, so it was uh, 30 years and eight kids ago we, we moved back. Eight children. Eight, eight kids. children. Well, it's a breeding farm. You know, you gotta, <laughs> gotta do our
0: part. And the obvious question is um, of the eight, how many uh, have you managed to get into sort of total thoroughbred immersion?
7: Well, they're just starting, really. Our oldest has is, is just recently gotten married, Andy, and she's moved back, and she does all her tours and hospitality. and So it's great having her back, and my oldest son, Will, is, is now getting into the bloodstock side of things. So, so hopefully there'll be somebody to move me along at some point. And you mentioned your your family's connection to to President Bush, and that was
0: most um, famously manifest in in your father's time as the, as the ambassador. Officially, I think the, the title is ambassador to the Court of St James, isn't yes, it? But it's the U.S. ambassador to Britain, effectively,
7: isn't it? That's correct. Yes, yeah. he was, and and that was the second President Bush, forty three, George W. And and he was over here for the first term of, of his in office. So uh, it was really a wonderful time for for mom and dad, and we got to. Got to do a lot of things over here that they don't normally get to do. Coming to Ascot being one of them, actually winning the English Oaks, which was just with Casual Look, yeah. Casual Look, which is just an amazing thing. And ironically, all these years later, the best yearling we have on the farm this year is out of Casual Look. So, so we're kind of excited about that.
0: So that's wonderful to know. Um, and and she's a uh, a broodmare now, who must be kicking on a, a bit and she's still producing beautiful foals. she
7: is so this might be her best one yet which, which is amazing but uh, and so who's the, who's that by he's by he's by the factor mm-hmm. oddly enough and and uh so could be an Ascot horse you never know and the factor one of yes, yeah,
0: several top quality stallions you're you're standing at the moment have you ever had a roster that looks quite as sort of complete as the one you've got now
7: well, I, you know, we're, we're thrilled with where we are right now. We've got some really exciting horses in the pipeline. But, but there was a time when, when Smart Strike and mm-hmm. King Mambo and, and APND looked made it look pretty complete. Yeah. Uh, so, so but I
0: suppose they were part of a more sort of select group, I guess.
7: They were, but, but uh, they really ticked all the boxes. And back then, with King Mambo's influence over here, he was much more of an international stallion, which is very hard to come up with these days. Um, but we're, you know, constantly. That's what what we do every day is try to try to bolster that roster, and uh, so we're, we're we're looking for that next sort of crossover stallion that that can do well here as well as at home.
0: And when you come to Ascot and you watch a performance like the one that Baye put up in the Queen Anne Stakes yesterday and you glance down at the pedigree and you see your old boy King Mambo yeah. in there, does it, does it give you a little bit of
7: pride? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. To see that. Um, you know, Shadwell always, we, we did a lot of things with them over the years and they bought a lot of yearlings, but they also bred a lot of mares at the farm. And uh, to see that coming through in such a big way might, might be the best horse that Sheikh Hamdan ever had. Um, which is a, a big statement for somebody who's had as, as many good horses as he has. But uh, it, it's somewhat sad that he's not here to see it. But uh, maybe he's looking down, watching it. I mentioned your associations with um, British government, but
0: also the, the British royal family, particularly Her Majesty the Queen and, and her visit to, to Lanes End. Was it '84 she first well, came? she
7: actually came five times, at five yeah. different occasions. But that, that was, the famous, was the famous, the famous first occasion, yes, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And uh, Uh, So it's amazing the the relationship that she has with mom and dad and obviously all of us. But um, we hope to see her here one day this week.
0: Well, it's been a a pleasure to talk to you. I I hope you're enjoying Royal Ascot as much as you as much as you always
7: have. Uh, uh, Absolutely. It's been uh, unfortunately three years off for me with COVID and everything else. So it's so nice to be back. Bill, thanks so much. Great. Thanks, Nick.
0: Well, thank you to Bill Farish and to all my guests today, David Yates, is still with me and he is going to continue his excellent work from yesterday where he found no fewer than four winners including a couple of big prizes as well and is going to pluck you out one for this afternoon bigger the better
1: in, including Bade, uh, too I should say in the 420 we go with number one Saffron Beach winner of course of the Kingdom of Bukhrain Sun Chariot Stakes at Newmarket last autumn Jane Chappelheim's first victory at the highest level an excellent fourth I, f- I thought in Dubai superb this is a less competitive race against her own gender and I think she'll get back to winning ways 420 it's the Duke of Cambridge Stakes and the selection is number one Saffron Beach David, thank you very much. Thank you all for listening. Uh, that was Wednesday,
0: June the 15th. We'll be back to do it all again tomorrow, Gold Cup Day, but from all of us for now, bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.